Welcome to Hashing It Out, a podcast where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks. We dive into the weeds to get at why and how people build this technology and the problems they face along the way. Come listen and learn from the best in the business so you can join their ranks. Okay, episode 19, hashing it out. Today, we're here with Kevin Owaki from Gitcoin, a co-founder of Gitcoin, which we'll dive into quite deeply. I'm really excited about this one because I've, I've watched it um, for a, a, a myriad of reasons. But today, as always, I'm here with my trusty co-host, Colin Couchet. Say hello, Colin. Hello, Colin. All righty. Uh, Kevin, why don't you start out by giving us a quick, quick introduction of like how you got introduced to this space in general and um, what Gitcoin is and how you got involved. Yeah, uh, thanks so much for having me on the show, Colin and Corey. I, uh, I've been investing in the, in the crypto space since uh, for about six or seven years now, and I uh, have been building for the last two or three years. I was initially introduced to the space by Piper Merriam, who's now at the Ethereum Foundation and is in charge of a lot of their Python stuff, and recently released Trinity. So him and I go way back, and he got me into the space back in 2014, uh, around when Ethereum was doing their ICO. And uh, since then, I've just been sort of experimenting with building things in the in the space. I have in computer science, and I built five or six side projects off of blockchain-based technology before I came to Gitcoin. And it's just a process of learning the technology, trying stuff, failing at it, and iterating until I got to something that's meaningful. And uh, pretty excited to be working on Gitcoin and be working with some of the people in the space on pushing decentralization and smart contracts forward. So why don't we, why don't we start with a bird's eye view of what Gitcoin is? Like what problem does it solve and why does blockchain help it solve it? Yeah, uh, so Gitcoin is a network of developers uh, that are looking to do bounties on open source software. And so the the idea is that you as a funder can take any GitHub issue, any feature or bug or security thing that you don't want to do, and then you can put an Ethereum or your uh, money bounty on it. And that gets paid out when the, when the work is completed. And so it's a way of, it's kind of like gig economy meets the blockchain open source space. And our mission is to grow open source software. We think that there's a real problem where open source software creates billions of dollars a year a year in economic value, but there's no value capture for the developers. And so part of the idea here is to give developers some of some ability to monetize their work in open source software. And they're already doing things that they love and meeting new people and building new skills they should get paid for the economic value that they're delivering. So that's the core product that we shipped with in November of last year. And we've done about 200,000 bounties on the platform thus far, and we're just getting started. So pretty excited to be supporting uh, the Ethereum, Ethereum Foundation's repos, MetaMask, Truffle, some of the best projects in the space with bounty. Very cool. So I, I noticed that you aren't using a native token to 
incentivize people. You're going straight to Ethereum and people are being incentivized directly with Ethereum. Yet your GitHub name is Gitcoin ICO. So I think at one point you were considering a token. Um, I would like to know what the decision process behind that was, what led there, and what the results of just going straight to uh, straight to Ethereum are, and how did that evolution occur uh, internally, and you know, um, yeah, how you know, how's the results of that? Uh, yeah, so oh man, I, the marketing lead at Consensus would have cajoled me to mention that Gitcoin is not a token, <laughs> like, but I forgot to do it. Um, the GitHub name is actually Gitcoin Co which is supposed to be short for Gitcoin Core. Uh, but now that I realize people are uh, reading it as Gitcoin ICO. <laughs> Oops, I did read that. Sorry. <laughs> I'm wrong. It's Gitcoin Co, not Gitcoin ICO. So, I mean, I don't know. I think that Gitcoin is kind of, uh, as a name, is sort of beachfront real estate in in the space because it's it's Git, uh, yeah. you know, decentralized version control. And it, it's one character off from Bitcoin. But... Um, you know, I think it's giving people the wrong impression that uh, we have a token. And, and you know, within reason, because 90% of projects in the space have a token. So we actually just launched a page, a marketing page called gitcoin.co slash not token. And um, it sort of explains our philosophy here. Basically, uh, A, we're in a position of privilege to be funded by consensus. And Joe Lubin, who has given us a very long runway to do stuff that's good for the space and isn't super worried about revenue or monetization right now. But um, in the long term, when we do monetize, we think tokenization is perhaps not the right model for what we're doing at Gitcoin. Um, I think that open source software developers are, you know, there's, there's, we're, well, so we're, we're in a little bit of token backlash right now. We're recording this interview in August of 2018, and it's a bear market, and we've been through the ICO boom and bust. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, um, you know, there's, there's token backlash among some of the sophisticated investors in the space. And, um, you know, I, I think that software developers are some of the more sophisticated uh, consumers in this space. But, but, but more, abs- more like generally, I don't think that for bounties that uh, tokenization is the right model for what we're trying to do. A lot of our friends that have done tokenization uh, have, have, uh, have had to deal with two different cu- customers, two different audiences. The speculators in Telegram that just want to see a return on their investment. And then they're actual users. And so we've been able to just focus on our users and achieving product market fit. And we're going to figure out other monetization streams down the line. I mean, I think we might take a cut of every bouncy on the platform. That's one thing that we've talked about. Uh, I'm, I'm on the working group for EIP-1337, which is subscriptions on the blockchain. And I think that there's very possibly a subscription type model where you pay 25 die a month or 25 a month and you get unlimited use of features on the platform or something like that. So I, I think that the long story short is that we don't think that we, we think that we're building a world financial computer in the Ethereum space, right? And tokenization is just the first business model that has come along. And I think that we'll see many, many other business models come along. And so we're kind of taking the long view and waiting to see what develops for monetization. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I, I actually see taking a cut as being more of an issue than just unlocking features. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, and, and I don't have the market research to back this up. You guys do, but my take on it is, if you do, if you take a cut, somebody will build a system where they don't take a cut. Um, you know, there's already transaction fees built into a lot of a lot of this. Um, you're just basically adding your own kind of transaction fee, and you're not even really technically doing anything to maintain the system. Um, 
the stuff you're maintaining and the value you add is in the additional features and the continued development and that kind of thing. Um, and maybe even a one-off payment to unlock a feature would be something cool. Like, hey, you know, like in a lot of gaming models have this kind of thing where they're just like, hey, if you want to unlock this, uh, this uh, fancy new character, you got to pay five bucks, you know, that kind of thing. So um, Yeah, but this, I, this moves way towards the idea of uh i guess decentralization in my opinion is that like when everyone owns their own their own data or their own value mm -hmm. the value is in like when creating a business you optimize for services and so this type of this type of platform like bitcoin is a, is a is a service platform you're enabling people to you're incentivizing people like developers to fix issues for open source projects which typically don't have ways of doing so so if you enable that type of thing, you build a community around doing that exact that exact thing. And for open source projects, they then flock to that to get that service, which they don't want to spend time doing themselves. Yeah. And that's like that's that's there, there's no token in that. There's no coin in that. So you have to then find a business model that supports the flow of money as opposed to the um, increasing v value proposition of a of a given token. Yeah. Right, like this is I wouldn't call this a protocol, and I think some like some of these like scarcity protocols that are pitching up may have some type of reason to have a token to then make their token valuation grow, but in this type of thing i don't i don't it that's not necessary, so there's no reason to have one, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that you're absolutely right uh I think that like you know a lot of the focus on on people saying that their token is a utility token or a protocol token in my opinion is is just around sort of skirting this U.S. regulation. They're just trying to get away U around U.S. regulation. I mean, I think that they want to have their cake and eat it too. Like you say, you're doing a utility token, um, and I, I I think that you want all the benefits of a security, but with none of the dilutive equity raise or or anything like that when you do a utility token ICO. And this is one of the core differentiators that we're building into EIP one three three seven the subscription model. So like you think about a subscription model for a business uh, like Netflix, for example, you pay $9.99 a month. And as a consumer, I don't have to read some insane long white paper in order to make a purchase decision there. I don't have to understand the vesting schedules of the founders. I just pay 10 bucks a month and I cancel if I don't like the service that I'm receiving. And on the, on the, on the, on the service side of things, I know that I have X consumers that are paying Y dollars per month and my term is Z. And then my conversion rate is let's call it Z Z prime, and so I know what my cash flow is going to be twelve months out. So it's just a great way of aligning incentives between consumers and and service providers. And so I, I think that you know I'm really excited about exploring the subscriptions route for Gitcoin, but I'm not exactly sure. You know, one you know one of the reasons we're having this conversation out in the open is because we want to we're a very community for, focused organization, and and I think that it makes sense to for the community to help decide what the business model is going to be for Gitcoin. And, and like I said, we're in a position of privilege that Joe Lubin is not pressuring us to monetize at all. He just wants to us to accelerate Ethereum's lead and, and the impact in the ecosystem. And so, you know, if I had raised a VC round and I, I did go like pitch on Sand Hill Road for Gitcoin, I'd be running out of money right now. And I'd be going around talking about monetization with a bunch of VCs and, you know, just having a backer like Joe, who's, who's letting us take the long view and, and figure this out very thoughtfully instead of with a real sense of urgency. 
has been has been super dope and it enables conversations like this where we can we can figure out what model is is right for our, our community well let's let's take a second and and i guess give the listener a perspective because i think a good a good distribution of our of our listenership is developers so yeah. what like how does gitcoin work how do they use your system like how do they how do they make money using gitcoin like can you can you walk us through the steps of like oh i found a problem yeah. or a an issue or a bug within a specific open source platform they have mm-hmm. they have enabled gitcoin within their platform how do i get paid for solving that issue yeah so uh if if this was a video podcast i would just share my screen and give a demo but uh unfortunately it's not so i'll just sort of walk through the steps uh, so basically, the, the the sort of like purchase intent or the bounty intent is associated with when you're a software developer and you have some sort of feature or bug that you want turned around, but you don't have the time or skills to turn it around. But you know, say you're an ICO and you have some some ERC twenty tokens to spend or some ETH to spend, you go to Gitcoin.co/new and then you can paste in a GitHub issue URL. So we're very purposefully built on top of GitHub. We think that they're a great collaboration tool and we just want to be the incentivization layer on top of that. And so you take the GitHub issue URL, which contains the scope for the feature bug, and you paste it into gitcoin.co slash new. It prefills a bunch of information like the programming languages used, the title of the bug, uh, the description of the feature, and then allows you to set some metadata. And then when you press submit, uh, that issue and whatever ETH you want to stake against it is put onto a smart contract called standard bounties, which is a standard for bounties on the Ethereum blockchain and has been audited by consensus diligence and, and, uh, and it's pretty fast and secure and, and we like it a lot. And basically that's, that's the source of truth for, for the bounties on the, on the ecosystem. And, and once the transaction is confirmed, it's submitted, it's it's on Gitcoin, it's on the Gitcoin Issue Explorer, and it gets emailed out to our network of software developers that could work on it. So I think that like, you know, everything I described up until now is just the mechanics of, of how it's done. But like the real value add is instantly marketing your open issues to 8,500 software developers across the world who want to work on blockchain stuff. So that's our real competitive advantage. Like that's the value accrual of Gitcoin is not like all the mechanics that I just described. But the fact that you don't have to work with a recruiter to hire someone and pay that recruiter 20% of a first year salary and, and, and then like bring someone on two, two months later after a bunch of interviewing, it's just instantly broadcast to everyone on the Gitcoin network. And then you work on a very small scope, you know, just like, a, like let's call it like a hundred die bounty together. It's like try before you buy hiring for, for uh, open source and blockchain projects. So you've tied yourself to the Ethereum network, and that makes sense. Um, do you see a future where you will be supporting other uh, coins, such as using atomic swaps uh, for Bitcoin or something like that, or Litecoin? Yeah. Or... yeah um, and sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off mid-question. I'm just so excited about the question that I... <laughs> So we're looking into using a BTC relay to allow people to post bounties on Gitcoin with Bit with Bitcoin, which I just love saying. <laughs> uh, but one of the problems that we have with with Bitcoin is that right now Gitcoin doesn't hold access to any of your funds. We don't have your private keys when you post a bounty, and we don't have 
uh, access to any of those funds. And so with Bitcoin, there's not as sophisticated of a smart contract layer that we can use for escrow of the funds. And so we're just trying to figure out how do we do that integration without Gitcoin holding any access to the funds and without causing any of those issues. So uh, I'd say it's a work in progress, but in the spirit of decentralization and open source, and we can, we can figure it out together. So working in security, I have this kind of um, idea, especially within the blockchain space of a responsible disclosure or anonymous disclosure. Uh, in some cases, when I want to report a bug or someone finds a serious bug and wants to report it, say maybe a consensus breaking change within within um, BCH, this happened recently. Someone wants to report this type of thing, but doesn't want the attribution to themselves because if it actually ends up happening before they get to fix it, then all the blame goes to them because they it's the only person they know this bug exists. What type of mechanisms exist within Gitcoin that allow people to uh, disclose some type of you know, breaking change anonymously while also yeah. getting paid. Yes. I mean, I think that that's a really important consideration for, for that use case. Um, I actually, when, when I initially launched Gitcoin, um, posted a security bounty to the, to the platform that uh, basically was just like, an, it was like an OWASP bounty with, and this is back when ETH was like 150 bucks. I think it was four bucks for a critical bug all the way down to like 0.1 ETH. Sorry, it's asking four bucks. I meant four ETH for a critical bug. Okay, <laughs> it's like that's really cheap, man. For a, for a minor, bug. yeah. And and this is before we were funded by Consensus, so it was all coming out of my personal. But um, uh, and, and so like basically, what happened in that scenario was that someone reached out to me privately over our our Slack, um, and was like, "Hey, I found a critical bug with." Uh, with your platform, like someone can inject a script onto onto a bounty if they put X Y Z in their GitHub issue, and so and and they had the exact consideration that you mentioned, which is like I don't you know I don't particularly feel like I need to reveal who I am in order to tell you this, but uh, you know can I still get paid? And I was like, yeah, sure. Just uh, there's two authentication layers on on Gitcoin. Uh, one is the Ethereum network, and it's your Ethereum address, and the other is GitHub. So you can log in with your GitHub username and submit and have it attached to your GitHub uh, profile. And I just, I said to the person, uh, I said, just, just submit your Ethereum address to this smart contract and I'll pay you out directly through the Ethereum address. And you don't ever really have to, to reveal your, your GitHub identity or anything about who you are. And so I, I paid that person out and I to, to this day have no idea who they are, but uh, you know, obviously they saved us from a great deal of hassle if someone had exploited that in the wild. So uh, I don't know if that's a, I'm, I don't have a real solid security background, so I don't know if that's responsible disclosure to a T, but that's what happened in that specific instance. And uh, I think that Git, Coin is very focused on being an incentivization layer and not being a collaboration layer at all. Like we're not going to rebuild chat. We're not going to rebuild GitHub. And it's because those, those tools work pretty well by themselves already. And so I think it's up to the, uh, up to the both sides of the market to communicate in uh, along with those criteria, however, however they want. And, uh, you know, that's how it worked for me, whether or not our like marketing and communications represent that right now i i couldn't say it's still kind of early days but i think that that's probably the best best direction people could go in yeah because you have i mean it, 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 you have two kind of different kinds of disclosures when you talk about um 
uh, bounties, right? One is going to be game-breaking changes with the terms of security. Like, I found something that breaks your entire platform. Yeah. And then I, I and then like, oh, we need a UI fix for this serious thing. We don't have the time to do it. We would like someone else to contribute. Um, and and what's and you also have two different kinds of people who would like to disclose these types of things. One is I want to get paid for telling someone that there's a problem in their system versus me exploiting it myself. And one person that's yeah. trying to build up their profile that says I fix problems, right? And so you have different public views of doing these types of things and then um, different kinds of things. And I think a platform that enables this type of situation accounts for those four different scenarios. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love learning about all these individual use cases in, in software that I just never knew about before. And it's a reflection of how vast the use cases for Gitcoin can be that like, you can do a small bug fix to a whole big feature to security stuff in inside of our platform. And just the scope of knowledge work in software is so is so broad. And so making the the, the, the platform not only broad enough to handle all those use cases, but deep enough on each of those individual use cases is is something that I, that I'm really trying to iterate toward. So can you go a little more about? Um how you structured your smart contracts to actually facilitate these kind of uh, uh, bounties and um, how you can verify that the bug was fixed and like what's the actual process for, you know, um, completing this? Um, Is it all through the smart smart contract? Is there a secondary uh, layer two kind of solution built on top of it that will, that enables us? What is, what does your platform look like from an architectural standpoint? Yeah, uh, lots of ground to cover there. I'm glad that you asked it, especially since the audience is technical. Uh, so I will say that I am very lucky to be built upon standard bounties, uh, which is the standard for bounties on Ethereum. And it was written by a fellow named Mark Bateman of the Bounties Network. Uh, we kind of see them as the protocol for what we're doing, and we see Gitcoin as just the application layer. And because of that, I have not written a single standard bounty code and uh, and so so I think that I'm very lucky to just have that out of the box to build to build Gitcoin with uh, my focus is on finding product market and on building something great for software developers and his is on standard and evolving protocol and uh, making it secure and so basically there's a few steps to a bounty one that you issue a bounty on Gitcoin and that involves funding it and describing what you want done the second the second step is someone submits an attestation that they've solved that scope, and that includes maybe a GitHub PR URL. And uh, and and when when the funder receives that attestation that they that that someone has turned around the, the bounty on the platform, then they can either accept it or they can comment back to the user and say, "No, you didn't handle X," or Hey, why don't you why don't you do why? And uh, so there's like a typically a cycle or two of iteration where the spec is met and both sides of the market are happy. And then after that, they can click accept. And then at that point, the funds get released to the bounty hunter, and hopefully everyone's happy. Now that's the happy path of of the platform. Part <laughs> becomes you know what happens when uh, someone abandons the bounty or when Bounty Hunter puts in a lot of work and the funder doesn't want to pay it out. And I think that like of those 
use cases. One of the problems that we have right now is with bounty abandonment. You know, since we're sort of a greenfield platform, you see people that will go on and will and will just say like, hey, yeah, I'm going to work on this. And then they don't do anything for the next like five or six days. And there's an opportunity cost to the rest of the community there. So we've started building in this little feature that, that like pesters them every couple of days for an update. And if, if they don't respond, then we remove them from the bounty and we uh, and then we ding their Gitcoin profile just to like let future funders know that this person didn't follow through when they said they were going to. So I think that there's sort of like a expectation setting part of the software that that we have to put in there to make sure that everyone's expectations are met. But we are really lucky that Gitcoin is built on top of GitHub and no one wants to be a jerk in open source software. Uh, your GitHub identity for many intents and purposes is your is your resume and is your open source portfolio. And so we've been really, really, really lucky that um, we have this ethos of the mission of growing open source. And, and because of that, uh, those social norms prevent a lot of bad actors from, from causing problems in the system. I do think that down the line, we're going to be really well served by introducing arbitration into the platform. So the standard bounties contract has a has a an address for an arbiter address, which can which can basically decide in favor of the funder or the bounty hunter if there's a dispute. Now, right now, we set that to zero x zero, which is the null address in the platform. But uh, in the future, we're going to be uh, bounties network is developing a, a network called staking network, and it's basically an arbiters platform on, on on Ethereum and you'll basically like have a council of five arbiters that can be escalated to and three out of five have to decide in one direction in order to uh, in order to in order to resolve a, an arbitration. And so for that like 0.3% of times in which there's really a major dispute, that will be our decentralized way of of dealing with it. So um, I think you asked me a couple of questions about like what is the architecture of Gitcoin and all that kind of stuff, but I'll pause there for further commentary. And then I can tell you more about the architecture of, of Gitcoin if you'd like. Sure. Actually, we had a, um, a guest on, uh, Logan Bruch, who had um, kind of an interesting approach to uh, how to handle some bounties of his own. Um, coin, right? Yep. What's that? He's been, he's been doing a crispy or toasty coin. And he's been doing an academy recently called the Crypto Primitives Academy, which builds off of uh, toasty coin and oh. trying to do other types of crypto uh, economic uh, primitives. Uh, you know, uh, I was like at DevCon, um, I was at DevCon 3 last year and I had this like funny like three hour spurt where um, like Jared announced status open bounty up on stage at DevCon. And then I was like eating lunch and then I met Logan who was like, oh, I'm working on a bounty platform also. <laughs> yeah. Three hour spurt. I met like four people who are working on, on bounty platforms for open source software. But uh uh, I've remained in touch with Jared and uh, and with Logan. And I think Logan's doing some some really great stuff for the ecosystem. So I I need to catch up on what his crypto primitives course is. He built a he built an academy called uh, uh I think it's called the CP Academy, crypto primitive crypto economic primitive academy. And he's been running it for the past couple of weeks on trying to build things that are self contained. So like you know it's, it's normal back and forth like two party social scenarios that can be encapsulated into a smart contract. That then yeah. can build a primitive, which can be built on to build larger systems. Now, toasted coin was kind of a incentive mechanism for doing bounties, but the fact that it wasn't built on Gitcoin means that it's arbitrary arbitrary on uh, how that gets resolved. 
So but building on top of Gitcoin, go ahead, Colin. Is that like, you know, technically you're not actually married to open source software from a, from a process standpoint, meaning that the process you're um, frontiering that uses open source platforms isn't necessarily confined to just open source platforms for solution um, bounties, you know what I mean? Or any bounty in general. Um, this does sound like a, seem like a really good way to get things off the ground, but it can be genericized, I feel. Um, have you given any thoughts to that? Can you expand on that? I don't understand what you're saying. Uh, well, you post you basically post a bounty and somebody fulfills it. And you, all you got to do is submit proof of that. There's a lot of things in this world which would uh, accommodate that particular need. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I feel like especially with an attestation plus um, um, arbitration uh, system, um, you know, this can apply to a lot of different uh, scenarios, although my brain is escaping one of them right now. Maybe finding a particular auto part or, um, I don't know, uh, a lot of uh, maybe uh, service, uh, web services just built, you know, moving my domain from one place to another and signing me up for Gmail because I don't know how to do it. Um, I feel like uh, that's kind of more uh, generic version of what you're actually implementing. And it seems like you can do a lot of different different uh, different other types of bounty type systems uh, with the same code base that Gitcoin would theoretically in my mind run off of. Yeah, so I think that's a really astute observation. And um, and so basically part of our vision with, with Bounties Network, which like I said, built standard bounties, which were built upon, is that, uh, is that there's a real separation between the protocol layer primitives and tools that are being built from the individual vertical vertical markets that are built on top of standard bounties. Now it makes sense to start with bounties for open source software because uh, open source software developers are uh, A, going to be knowledgeable about blockchain, B, going to care enough about uh, Ethereum to install MetaMask on their browser and to get a little bit of Ether. And uh, you notice the reality of 2018 is that things are pretty early right now. But we definitely see translation bounty networks and design bounties and question and answer bounties kind of aura, uh, on standard bounties being built off of the exact same tool set that Gitcoin is built on top of. And it doesn't make sense for Gitcoin to pursue those markets. I think that bounties network uh, and standard bounties should be spinning up those those individual networks because they're really different co- communities with different concerns. And, you know, maybe, you know, Gitcoin is really heavily coupled with GitHub. Maybe the questions bounty platform will be really heavily coupled with Stack Overflow or something like that. Yeah. So, we have a lot of opportunity there, but it's outside of the scope of Gitcoin, I think. You just shared your you just shared your screen to give a nice a kind of a a mental map of where where Gitcoin result like sits within the like the standard bounties framework, and uh, I, I hope we can we're going to include that in our description. And I think like things like Scent is already deployed to try and answer things like questions, bounties, and things like that. And I think it's important to kind of like differentiate what problems you're solving versus the types of uh i don't know if they're two two-sided marketplace or like in inside of marketplaces of people who i need this shit done who wants to do it i'll pay you to do it which is the like the general framework of what we're talking about right yeah uh i, I think so it's sort of like gig economy meets blockchain um and hopefully you know it's a it's a gig economy that empowers both sides of the market i think one of the problems with gig economy in the legacy world is 
Um, there's there's some predatory stuff I think that that's going on in gig economies, but uh, you know that's probably the subject of a whole another conversation around. Crypto. All right. Well then, well then, where does where does like blockchain fit in? Right. If if this is yeah. the marriage of these things, why does blockchain make it better? Yes, and I think that that's an excellent question. And I definitely got like a lot of skeptical VCs when I was originally pitching Gitcoin, thinking like, well, you could just build this in the fiat. Uh, Fiat network and um, and I think that it's it's definitely true. Uh, but I mean, there's that Wayne Gretzky quote that that is uh, that goes something like, "You should skate to where the puck is going, right?" And if we believe that we're building a decentralized, open financial system, then then you should you should build for the future and not for for the legacy one. And that was like my abstract answer, and I don't think it was very convincing to the to like VCs and people when I was pitching nine months ago. But here's the real answer. Here's like the exciting, like actual pragmatic answer. There's actually funding for open source software and blockchain. Like <laughs> chasing too few developers in the blockchain ecosystem. That doesn't exist in in legacy open source. Like legacy open source, uh, like you know, traditional open source, you're you there's not enough dollars chasing too many developers. And so I think that that's the real punctuated equilibrium upon which which Gitcoin exists and the reason why our average hourly rate on the platform is between 25 and 70 dollars per hour like legitimate legitimate funding for open source well i mean it's a little farther than that for me personally i mean uh, what would your payment mechanism be you're not going to run your own like a pci compliant payment system if, if you don't have to so you'd go through something like paypal or stripe yeah. um those add central points of uh of control and favor over your uh over your platform and when you're working with open source you really don't want to introduce too much influence from outside parties. Um, I just, to me, it seems like also there's a political motivation here as well. And that I can, you can facilitate transactions without re- relying on PayPal. You can facilitate re- transactions without relying on the bank or the credit cards. And you don't have to deal with those payment mechanisms that could possibly sway influence over uh, what should be an open and completely free um, software environment. I worry about I worry about like platforms like say this say this takes off. Um this becomes the standard of how people contribute to open source projects, so on and so forth. And I found this cool bug uh or bounty. I solve it, I submit it, and they're like, Hey, thanks for the answer. Go fuck off, I'm not paying you. How does that stop? How 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 like how do you how do you stop that type of thing? Well, you don't. He said it earlier. There's yeah, the arbitration, arbitration system. The arbitration system has to come into play. Like, like, at what point does that become necessary? Right now, we have a community of people where that, that that's not that big of a deal. Like the 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 ideology of people trying to solve the bounties on Git on Gitcoin is probably aligned enough in that they're going to pay out when a bug is solved. In yeah. in in the eventual future, that will no longer be the case. When does the arbitration network become necessary? Yeah, I mean, I think that as we scale, uh, you know, our our tight knit little community is is going to have to scale, and social norms are going to change. But and I think that we're looking at doing the arbitration network in the next couple of quarters at Gitcoin. But it is it does feel great to have stumbled upon this community where uh, where the ethos is very forward looking and and um, and so it hasn't been much of a problem this far. Although I will say that, like, 
software software development is inherently iterative, uh, especially in the 21st century, in the 21st century with agile and everything like there's a real problem with progressive disclosure, uh, I think, in software development, both at, at full time jobs that I've worked before, but also on Gitcoin. So, I mean, you say that you want X, but then you see a solution that meets technically um, answer the, the scope X. And, and you're like, oh, well, you know, I didn't think of this before, but wouldn't it be cool if Y existed in there too? <laughs> yeah. So there, you know, that's, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just how software development is. And so part of what we've been doing as a platform, just to like coach people from a UX standpoint is, um, hey, like you're going to post this bounty for X and you're going to put, let's call it a hundred die on it. You should have 35 die in reserve for a, if this person does a badass job, if they're really fast, if they do it really well, you should maybe send them a little bit extra on top. Or if there's progressive disclosure of the scope, then you can agree to like, hey, sorry, I know this wasn't the scope before, but can I just have it? And I'll, I'll give you like X amount more of, of die. And, and we found that just like treating other humans like humans on the on the platform has has gone a long way in preventing those kind of disputes that that aren't like bad actors, but are just miscommunications that can occur in software development. So I'm actually going to lend something else to this that's kind of unrelated to decentralization, but I run a trading post platform for a particular video game, just because I'm passionate about this game. And uh, when I first started the platform, there were scams all over the place. There were people like trying to, the thing that solved it is I built a karma system where people who fulfill trades and people who post trades can mutually give each other karma. And what that built was a, a, a point economy where people became more trustworthy within the, the ecosystem itself. And I thought that would prevent people from starting to break into the actual economy. But what it wound up doing is, is having the opposite effect. It made people reach out and actually communicate and, and build bonding trust with people who had already established themselves in the community, which grew the community itself exponentially. I went from like a thousand users to 10, to 10,000 users. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I feel like, we often view people with a very cynical sense because on the internet, especially, I don't think this is historically the way we viewed a lot of folks. And, and yeah. we had this moral economy baked into the way things work. But we've kind of lost that moral economy um, because the internet is completely anonymous. Yeah. Now with the decentralization and, and these, these, the, the blockchain and, and identities being uh, tied to particular things, like you said before, your GitHub user is kind of your identity, right? you don't want to tarnish your identity because then nobody will want to work with you. So you can actually build systems which uh, build credibility for yourself um, and give you incentivization to continue your work because you can actually put food on the table. I feel like those two things married together, you're going to see literally only the most sociopathic antisocial people um, exploiting yeah. it, and those people will be rooted out and not welcome, and they will build a terrible reputation for themselves, and then they can't eat. Nikki Case wrote a really. Um, I don't know if you guys have played with any of Nikki Case's like interactive flash style games. His but latest one, The Truth, is fantastic. Yeah, the evolution of truth, and like actually out of the of the score screen from that that game up, and like his like three big takeaways uh, from the evolution of trust, which is which is a game in which you can you can game out how different participants in a network can evolve towards trust or distrust. And basically the three things like the three uh, like 
three parameters that you want to design into your network is a repeat interactions, keep a relationship going and, um, and help trust evolve possible win-wins besides or possible win-wins between people in the network, as opposed to like a zero sum game. And then the third is low miscommunication. So if there's too much miscommunication, then trust breaks down. And um, if there's only a little bit of miscommunication, then building in forgivingness into your platform is important. So like that example of progressive disclosure I gave earlier, I think is an example of that. And so it's up to us as people who are designing these, these networks to, to keep these, these considerations in mind. And like the really exciting thing for me is that uh, I don't know if you all know about Dunbar's number, but it's this proposed cognitive limit where you can only interact, uh, only interact healthily with up to 150 people in at a time like you can only maintain relationships with that many people yeah. and i think that exciting for me is scaling outside of my local community building protocols that allow participants to interact and scale past dunbar's number as humanity because i i just think that if we're going to build programmable money uh if we're going to build this like ecosystem that where where money is a core protocol of the internet then incentives become a core protocol of the internet and we should program our values into our money and we should scale community um, as opposed to as opposed to in, a, in another direction. And so that's one of the things that really keeps me excited about working at Gitcoin. Oh, I man. absolutely love that. I'm going to steal that. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to that over <laughs> we're also, and over again. That's we're, also keeping, uh, we're also keeping like the evolution of trust. We'll put that in the description as well, just because it's, it's, it's something that I think all everyone should look at in this community. I'm, I'm glad that you guys are into it because uh, Scott, who's the guy who set up this interview, was like, they want to talk about technology and like the programming. <laughs> Shit, I'm going in like a thought leader, like TEDx, TEDx talk direction with the this. Thing, the thing is, with decentralized, the thing that attracted me to this space is that the two are not in separate. Yeah. The ideology behind what we're building in this particular space. And that's, that's attractive to me. Yeah. Um, speaking of ideology, can you talk to me about um, what's it called? Uh, code fund uh, a little more oh yeah uh so so basically gitcoin's mission is to grow open source software and the the platform that we've talked about for 90 percent of this conversation is is gitcoin bounties and i think that bounties are great but they're only one tool in the tool belt and there's that old computer science cliche that if the only tool you have in your toolbox is a hammer then every problem is going to look like a nail the golden yeah. hammer. I've I've wrote about that. Yeah, um, and bounties are great, but they're they're a hammer. And you know, what if you have a problem that requires a electric screwdriver? So basically, um, Code Fund is a complementary product to Gitcoin that also supports open source software, but with a completely different way of doing it. And what it is is it's an ethical advertising framework for software developers. Um, but basically, the way it works is that if, if you have a repo with a bunch of stars and uh, and you're starting to go down the burnout cycle, then you can place an ad on your repo and get paid, like monetize your audience. Now, not sell out your audience because it's ethical advertising and you're only displaying ads for other other software development platforms on, on your repo. But basically, it's a way to solve the burnout cycle with, with open source, and that's by getting actual funding for your presence in open source software. And so it's, it's, it's basically an ad network that allows you to decouple your income from the work that you're, that the work that you're doing, whereas opposed to bounties, it's really about you get paid out for the scope, the scope that you do. So 
sort of excited about building up this little, this like toolbox of tools that are meant to help. Bounties is just one component of that. Uh, do we have over there? <laughs> Sorry, I had to turn my mic off for a second. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can you can you kind of go into a little bit to um, why bounties is is the hammer problem? I don't quite see that. I mean, I, I see I see selling um, ad space to uh, human attention. Like you see a bunch of stars in your, in your GitHub repo, for instance, that, that brings a lot of attention. People are like, Oh, that's legitimate. Then if you can sell that as ad, as ad space for people who would also like to push their message out, that's reasonable. But why is the bounties a hammer and nail problem? Well, I just think that, so, so basically I think that there's a contributor life cycle in open source software and it goes from, being a prospective contributor to an open source repo to actually becoming a contributor to becoming a maintainer of that open source repo. Um, and, and that's the happy path. But the problem is that there's, there's failure paths along the, uh, along the, the, the open source life cycle right now. Like if you're a contributor, maybe you lose interest in the projects and you move on to other stuff. Like your, your corporate job is what pays the bills. So maybe you move on to that. Um, I think that with um, with being a maintainer, there's a particular problem with burnout. So basically, if you have, um, you know, if if you you start off your open source repo on a high and you're starting to get like 50 stars and people are really into it and you're just like energized by the attention, but then when it gets up to 500 stars, it becomes more of a burden and people are like, why aren't you merging my pull request? And do you know that your shit doesn't work on OSF? <laughs> Okay, I get this now. So basically, like, Gitcoin's really good at um, accelerating the path for a prospective contributor to become a contributor. And um, it's really good at preventing you from losing interest because you're getting paid for working on that. Um, and I think that CodeFund is is really good at keeping people from getting burnt out when they're a maintainer because they're actually getting paid for their presence and for their work in open source software. And so... Um, I don't mean to say that like, I don't know, maybe, maybe bounties isn't the hammer, like maybe bounties is like a crowbar or something like that. I don't know. It's, I'm just saying that it's only one tool in the toolbox. Yeah. There's multiple ways to solve the incentive and lifecycle problems in open source. And that's our mission is to, is to, is to build crypto economic forces that accelerate the happy path of an OSS lifecycle and decelerate the unhappy path, like the burnout path. That makes sense. Yes, definitely. So let's get back to some more of the technicals here. You were going to finish up your uh, talk on some of the architecture discussion. Um, let's let's, sure. uh, let's let's is your entire application decentralized? Um, how you know where where are you, where where are your points of centralization? Why did you choose those points? And um, you know, yeah. do you plan on mitigating any of those in the future? Like, what are, what are your thoughts? Or how's things built now? What are your thoughts? Yeah. So. Um... Uh, standard bounties, which is like sort of like the beating heart of the system, is totally decentralized on the Ethereum network, and uh, and we use Ethereum smart contracts and IPFS for for that extensively, and we're really really uh, happy to say that the heart of our application is decentralized. The um, we do have like an issue with queryability of information on smart contracts, and so for that information we 
work for that to solve that problem. We mirror a lot of that information to a Postgres database, which basically allows us to just very quickly query without having to reach out to Infura um, or a, a Web3 RPC. Or like, give me all bounties in the last 90 days that have the keyword Python in them. You know, it's just like, it's, it's, it's cheaper to do that in a relational database than to have to go out to the, the, the Web3 network in, in order to do that. I think that there's like parts of that that are aimed to increase the user experience that are centralized, but because they're not the, the heart of the system, then I'm not super concerned about, um, about that. Uh, so that's like one category of centralization. The second category that I'll mention is that standard bounties was developed uh, about 12 months ago. And since then, our, our conception of what needs to be in the application has, has sort of changed a little bit. And um, there's areas that the standard don't really match what we need to do in practice for an optimal user experience. For example, when we first launched Gitcoin, there was a problem where multiple people would start working on a bounty at the same time, and they'd both submit a pull request, and they'd be like, oh shit, someone already solved this problem. So it's like, oh man, I just wasted my time right here. So we built in this feature called Start Work, which is which is not submitting, it's, it's not attesting that you finished the work. It's just sending a signal to everyone else that this bounty has already been started. So please don't work on top mm-hmm. of me, don't work over top of me. And that's all just in our Postgres database. Uh, it's, it solves a valid UX problem to be able to signal that you started work on it, but it's not part of the FAT protocol and the, uh, and the standard bounties framework. So we're looking to solve that with standard bounties 2.0, which just got accepted as an EIP in the last week or two. And, uh, and you can expect that within the next six to nine months, little things like that will be built into the protocol as opposed to just being built in Gitcoin. That's really cool. Uh, I think that's a great way to kind of uh, start to wrap this up. Is there any questions that um, you wish we would have asked you that we didn't get around to? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, so, so, hey, thanks for asking that. And like the question that I always like to ask myself is what kind of world do we want to live in? And I think that uh, one of the things that unites people in crypto right now is decentralization. And that's a very abstract, abstract answer. So when, if I was going to answer that question for myself, um, the, the thing that like tangibly I care a lot about is creating real u- end user value and creating... Um, bridge for for users in the in 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 across the world using blockchain for actual real world use cases and so um you know i think that we've covered a lot of that we've sort of like crisscrossed a lot of that in our interview but i would just challenge your listeners to um to to look past what exists now and uh think about the broader vision of of a open source financial system and how it's going to be different from the the old financial system and to build the world that they want to live in because I think that that's, that's what's going to power us as we enter the middle of the 21st century. All right. I have, a, I have, a, I have another, I want to challenge you on that a little bit. Um, I don't like the idea of decentralization for the, for the idea of decentralization. Like the, the point of doing it is not to decentralize. The point of doing it is to, is something else, right? It's like, I don't like doing something just to do it. Why are we decentralization? What's the whole point? Like, yeah. what are we trying to decentralize? If you don't, if you don't specify the reasoning for decentralization, and you're doing yeah. it just for decentralization's sake, 
it's not good enough. So what's the point? Like, why, why do we care? What, where, what are we trying to mitigate or get rid of? Yeah. I mean, I think that what I was trying to say, uh, when I asked that question to myself and then answered it was that, uh, I think that we need to build a world that we want to live in. And I think that, I, well, I don't know how aligned people are. I don't know how much consensus on what kind of world we all want to live in, um, what that looks like. But I think that less, less rent seeking intermediaries is, is something that people agree with in the abstract. I think providing, uh, providing leverage to individual participants in the, in the network is a really important thing. And for me, what that looks like is the network topology is more of a peer to peer network, like a mesh network and not more of a top down, a, a top down network. And, and that allows, well, and that allows a lot of interesting things to, to sort of, to sort of co-evolve, but I don't know, it's a conversation and I don't have all the answers. Like I'd be mm-hmm. curious to all think, so you, you said mesh network. So you're talking about like a internet of blockchains rather than kind of like <laughs> you bring, I knew you'd bring this up. I love this question because I'm still on the one world blockchain camp. I really am. Um, yeah. I really believe like they were going to at least evolve or gravitate towards a standard um, yeah. of, of value. Like, and I keep calling it uh, the unitized measure of value. One yep. of the things I bring up a lot, and we're going to bring it up in this uh, this other kind of um, trial-type podcast we're doing, and um, there's an article I just wrote, which is basically a transcript of a rant that I did, um, mm-hmm. is, uh, is, you know, we have leaders, we have centimeters, we have um, ohms, we have volts, we have Celsius, um, we have Kelvin, we have all these like unitized measures of reality yeah. and they've greatly scaled our ability to uh, interoperate with each other as a society. And it's, it's greatly uh, improved the way that we all communicate our measurements of that reality. And yet the one thing we don't have that we use literally every day in any sort of unitized standardized measurement is value. Mm. Um, and I feel like a one world blockchain solution where every, there'll be other blockchains, but they will have to kind of adhere to this thin protocol of what is value yeah. um, and how things kind of exchange uh, in this very base layer um, is almost necessary to scale society to post scarcity levels, you know? And that's really the goal for me with decentralization and everything else and, and everything we do as human beings, our entire goal as a civilization needs to be focusing on achieving the goal of post-scarcity society. Yeah, I and mean, I think that um, I, I like it, it's sort of interesting to hear you say articulate it that way because I think that in a way we're sort of asking what does this ecosystem look like as it evolves and as it becomes the, hopefully a major player on the world stage. And um, you already sort of started you already sort of see bitcoin evolving this store of value use case where um on exchanges yeah. you can exchange or any other coin off of bitcoin and eth i think is increasingly playing a player uh, playing a role there so uh it, it, you know as markets evolve then obviously there's consolidation and you saw that with the mobile phone space where now it's it's 10 years in and it's only ios and android i'm hopeful that in the future we'll see less less like random chains that people have to pay attention to 
and you'll be able to to just pay attention to the prominent ones. Uh, do you have an opinion on which chain is going to help us achieve post-scarcity, Colin? Probably none of them at the moment. And I like Ethereum, don't get me wrong, but it's nowhere near where it needs to be um, for that kind of that kind of use case. I mean, what I'm really looking for is this is like the first step um, yeah. towards post-scarcity. And I don't think like the chain itself is the solution to post-scarcity society, but it is an essential component. It is the first major leap that Van will need in order to better utilize and more efficiently exchange assets uh, globally. Um, and you know, uh, one of the one of the issues that we have is 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 just knowing how much something is worth is difficult. Um, it's pretty much a shit show. And I and I feel like um, you know just having that kind of data, knowing where things are, who owns them, how we can acquire them, where they're what what the actual demand is, and reach kind of an economic equilibrium between supply and demand is going to be an essential part of reaching post-scarcity society because there's a lot of other leaps we'll need. We'll need to improve manufacturing processes. We'll need to improve global supply chain. We'll need to uh, improve uh, recycling processes. We'll need to improve energy distribution. We'll need to improve uh, communication. There's all these aspects of society that needs significant improvement. And the only thing that is missing that enables us to start building that infrastructure is a single source of truth that defines what value is and how value is exchanged and assets are stored and recorded and, and, and transported and, you know, um, and ownership is determined. Welcome Sorry, to Hashing Down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Jupiter. <laughs> there's not, there's not, has, there's not been a single episode where Colin has not tangented off into the future of what could be. So, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would love to keep tangenting off that tangent. Keep going. If you want to keep going, yeah, riff it. <laughs> so I, I'm, I've, uh, I have a computer science background, and uh, I like things that are tangible and and are, um, you know, like explicitly formed. And um, one of the fun things about sitting around with my blockchain friends after, after a meetup is talking about the future of what could be because uh, I don't know, it, it's like dreaming of a, of a better society together. And, uh, and so I've, I've been, I've learned to sort of escape from my programmer roots and to go into a little bit more of those dreamy ideas. And part of that uh, has been reading Eric Posner's radical markets, which is a book that uh, we love that book. That book is great. It is the second chapter, but just learning about the idea of, of introducing markets into areas of, of life where they haven't existed already. And, uh, I, I can't even like articulate any of his ideas at, at this point, but, but basically just like you're able to, to increase economic value by, by giving more people a voice and by putting prices on assets that don't have prices. Now there's, there's some really cool ideas in that book. Absolutely. Yeah. No, we, we mentioned that book a few times on the show already. Corey's actually the one who turned me on to it while we were at consensus 2018. I immediately went out and, and got it and, it's a fantastic book. I'm going to have to reread it because it was, it, it has so much in there. And yeah. I unfortunately did the audiobook version, which I don't think did it quite justice, but yeah. it was, it was enough to get me super excited. Um, and I love that book. I've also been reading a lot more on, um, you know, just old school economic guys. And I'm not even like pro economist. I think a lot of what they do is alchemy, but, um, the, the, the ideas that they started and the, 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 the things that they, they're actually able to start to come to fruition now because a lot of them like um, Hayek and, and, and Milton Friedman uh, spoke extensively on the ideal currency 
and that wasn't possible back in the day and now it is and i'm really excited to see how we actually responsibly use those ideal currencies or build the ideal currency um because we had not had that ability in the past i think it's going to facilitate a lot of the things that radical markets discusses in Posner's books, it's re- it's really great. I'm really excited. That I think I think that. even the the term currency is a bad term if you want to try start talking about ideal currency. It's more like, uh, like the thing we're looking at is a generalization of what currency is. Yeah. It's, it's 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 just generalized value exchange, whatever value means to certain people. Yeah. And um, creating that, I think, is what cryptocurrencies are trying to do or blockchain in general blockchain with a good consensus mechanism is trying to do is generalize the idea of value exchange and once you go there you can then do all kinds of certain things on a human to human level and what we've seen up to date is a is a reframing of what we already know using the new tools we've created through blockchain and it's we're only now starting to kind of experiment with new ways of doing things through this generalized source of value exchange, but we're all, we're only like evaluating them through the lens of what we all already know, like financial modeling, shit like that. And that's not, that's not good enough. And I, I think it's going to be a while until we get to the point where we can come up with new ways of evaluating these things. And that's the thing that like really excites me about this space is that, um, is that uh, there's going to be so many new places that exchange of value are going to happen and, and I think that the like the analogy that I make in this case is that the internet changed our lives because it's the ability for computers to read information across the network, right? Yes. And um, what blockchain does is allows you to route value or scarcity across the network, right? With so, ownership. With ownership, yeah. And and so like it, it, what Napster did to the recording industry, I think it's possible that that blockchain could do to the financial services industry and uh, change the way that we change financial value with each other. And like the number one analogy that I like to use when talking about uh, what you guys are talking about, which is I perceive all these new use cases, is that before the internet, you would never send a person a piece of snail mail. Like if you have a coworker that's like three cubicles, you would never send them a piece of snail mail that's like, hey, what do you want to get for lunch today? Because it's <laughs> right? But how many people have sent that email? probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions. And it's because it's cheap and it's instant. So it un- enables all of these use cases for exchange of information that didn't exist before. So what's the parallel with this new financial network that we're building where you can exchange micro amounts of value just like very casually that you couldn't because of the old old financial system was too expensive and too slow? That's a good analogy, I think, for kind of a... Uh visualizing what we're talking about like what 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 couldn't you do earlier that's like just commonplace today and the, and the hard part of this is in 1993 who would have who would have come on a podcast well there wouldn't have been a pod- on a radio show <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be able to mail your coworker and ask them what they want to get for lunch like you sound like a crackpot if you said that in 1993 with the existing paradigms and uh and everything and so in 2018 trying to project 20 years in the future, how are people going to exchange value over this internet of value is, is, is equally hard, but well, coming, coming full circle here, like we need to find ways to, I guess. So the only reason why we act the way we do in the world of the internet is because of the applications that are built on the internet and how they're built. Right. And so when you talk about building things on the internet or 
on blockchains, you have to then talk about how you build the applications on top. Like you have to talk about like who's building these applications and who's incentivizing building of these applications. Yeah. And like how you interact with like this has been a, a key concept that I've been trying to build up for a long time. The infrastructure lays way to how you build applications on top of that infrastructure, which then lays way into how people interact with each other based on using those applications. And you need a good methodology of ways to build applications. And I think previous ways of incentivizing people to build applications encourage this, what are you offering me as a, as a company, as opposed to what are you offering me as an individual? Which has this downside too. So you brought up the Napster analogy, which I think is interesting, especially to me. Because I actually worked in, I tried to start a company. I, I worked on it for four years. I had a piece of an algorithm I developed, which did video fingerprinting extremely efficiently. Basically, it's my own content ID system for like YouTube and stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I got really deep into the the whole perceptual hashing, fuzzy hashing kind of side of things, which should you know, really lends itself well to this decentralized, uh, you know, the, uh, the whole, um, you know, cryptocurrency space. Um, you know, copyright is a, is a problem for artists. And you see people like Imogen Heap uh, trying to leverage blockchain to bring out the company and go more one-to-one to compensate people who are providing you entertainment. Yeah. And the reason you could do that is because you can kind of track these assets and how they're being used and stuff like that. Um, I feel like, uh, you know, yeah, we're still early and no, it's not viable at the moment, but um, being able to ins- build new types of incentive models surrounding creation of just intellectual property, um, bypassing the need for the patent system, bypassing the need to register a copyright, which you really don't have to do anyway. Um you know, all these things, this notary system that is the blockchain um, enables people to sort of um, have rights that they have lost as a result of free information exchange, but yeah. still retain the value of free information exchange and in that they can just freely exchange information if they so desire. So I think it's I think it's just fascinating. The, the, the way the world is going to change in the next 20 years, I believe, is going to be more drastic than the way the world changed. Um, in the 20 years after the um, advent of like things like Prodigy and CompuServe, um, it's just it's just it's we're just uh, we're just just beginning and it's rapidly growing faster than any of those technologies did either. So. I, I like your example of the music industry because you know ha- in history has there been a more centralized rent seeking <laughs> and like <laughs> no. And, uh, People who are trying to innovate there, I just wish them Godspeed because I think that, you know, there's the whole starving artist, musician moving to New York kind of thing. And and then there's the, the Beyonce's of the world. And in between that, there's there's a whole lot of, of value that's being created that isn't recognized. And, and whoever can crack that nut and allow people to build their own audience and retain ownership over the good that they're creating for the world, or maybe not ownership, but a stake in it at least, mm-hmm. uh, that's really exciting. It applies to any creative pursuit too, be it you're a painter, you don't want your, what's that? Coding. There you go. Um, you know, you're a painter, you're a, you're a musician, you're a video producer, like all of these things are, and not only that, but they're subject to censorship if there's a single point, like YouTube's having issues with that right now. Um, yeah. you know, 
if you can build incentive models that don't depend on a centralized organization, you could be you can let the market decide what the market wants. That is a downside of making people like Alex Jones a little more uh, viable. But you know, it also makes actual artists and people producing things not being uh, not having their message um, compromised by an industry that's driven by marketability and not uh, market forces. All right. At the cost of as much as I love to wax poetic about this indefinitely, I'm going to have to cut a short here and uh, and wrap this up. So uh, if you enjoyed this conversation, listeners, please click the like, click the subscribe, tell your friends, give us feedback on Twitter. Uh, Kevin, how can people reach out to you and Gitcoin and yourself? Yeah, Gitcoin's at Gitcoin.co. So check us out there. Uh, I am at Owaki on Twitter, which is uh, O-W-O-C-K-I. And I love to debate stuff like this on Twitter. So send me a tweet and, and we'll tweet. Thanks awesome. for having me on. Absolutely. We'd love to have you. And uh, I look forward to kind of seeing how Gitcoin grows to help incentivize uh, like good quality open source development. So thanks for creating Gitcoin. Oh, man. Thank you for having me.